It's time once again for FAA Safety Briefing Live, and we're featuring Birds of a Different Feather, which is the November and December issue of this magazine. I'm Paul Prydecker, and I'm joined by, by my friend and colleague Susan Parson. Hello, Susan. Hi, Paul. Nice to be here. We don't often have a chance to share the same space when we do these, but it's it's nice to have you here, and we'll look forward to getting through the program. Indeed, even if it is cold in Wisconsin right now. <laughs> Well, it's just the beginning. I can, <laughs> so I I can tell you, it's, it's just the beginning. But before we get started, we don't often talk about uh, what's on the back cover of a magazine, but I I noticed with some interest that Kenny G is on the back cover of this he magazine. Is. And during one of your visits here in October, we had the chance to go see him in concert. We did. And by the same, um, when I got the issue, I looked and saw that he's on the back cover as an accomplished musician, of course, and as an accomplished pilot. So that was fun. It was it was fun indeed. Yes. Yeah. Susan, talk to us about Wings Credit and how how people can participate in that. Sure. Uh, one of the things about this program is that you can earn Wings and AMT credit if you click on the link that's on the right side of the program page and follow the links. You'll get to a quiz. Uh, we try to make it uh, pretty simple and straightforward. Uh, pass the quiz after you've watched the program. And you get Wings credit for it. So hope you'll, we encourage you to do that. And what's one of the best ways that they can get through the magazine to get their Wings credit? Um, actually, we'd like for you to read the magazine. Yes. We try to make sure that we cover the, uh, the ideas that uh, are in the quiz during this program. But it's really just not possible to put everything on a few slides. So this is, this is intended to be a little bit of an introduction and hopefully encourage you, make you really want to go read the magazine. And uh, right here is your link to a print copy. Perfect. And we also have archive broadcasts for people who may want to go back and review or to maybe see them for the first time. Yes. We have a slide that indicates how to go um, and select those as well. Yes. And uh, we we're getting to have quite a, a library of content now. So, well, I suspect it'll continue. I hope so. So, Susan, as we often do, we talk a little bit about the magazine and what the role of FAA Safety Briefing is in the community. I'm, I'm always surprised and delighted by how creative your staff is. I mean, certainly you're one of the, the contributors on the writing side of it and editing, but you have other great contributors and, and marvelous designers. I'll, I always okay. like their creative input. But tell us a little bit about the magazine and what its, uh, what its goal is. So uh, as you see on this slide, we're, we aim to be the safety policy voice for a non-commercial general aviation community. And right there, you see what our goals are, to raise awareness of resources, to explain safety and regulatory issues. And most of all, this is this is one of my passions, to encourage continued training. And I know it's one of yours too, Paul. Well, as a flight instructor, I mean, we're always in training, or we always should be, and there's always something to learn. And this issue will actually be a I would say, a springboard for encouraging people to maybe go out and push the envelope a little bit and learn things that maybe they thought about but maybe don't know the path to. Absolutely. Let, let's have a look at the at the cover, the bir- Birds of a Different Feather. It's, it's another creative content. It's a creative graphics. And what are some of the issues that we'll cover? Well, we have an introduction to the Birds of a Different Feather theme, which is the fact that there are so many different ways that you can fly. Um, the the things and and for those who are interested in uh, drones or unmanned aircraft systems as we are also call them, 
um, we there there are still more opportunities coming up every day. So in this issue, we're going to talk about experimental aircraft. We're going to talk about some of the things that are coming along, like electric aircraft. You yes. start to read more about that. Um, we bring up balloons and uh, and some of the things about the I mean, light sport aircraft have been around for a while. But uh, just because it's small doesn't mean that you can just jump in and go fly it. When I when I read the article, it, it certainly brings to mind the um, fact that you you just can't jump in. You do need right. some training because it, it it poses some challenges because of its design and because of how it's built and its purpose. Absolutely. So let's let's get into a bit more of the content here. One of the things that uh, I've, I mentioned this before on some of our other broadcasts, and you you know this. I used to do some training tra- training flights for um, instrument training. That was um, a very intensive cross country program uh, where we would go. You know, Turbo One Eighty Two RG. We'd go from Madison, Wisconsin, essentially out towards Seattle, down to Los Angeles, and back. And we would do that in six days. Uh, it was about 4,500 miles, 45 hours. And at the end of it, um, assuming the, the students were qualified, they they received their instrument rating. So it was really a, a wonderful program. And we, we started to get people coming from all over the country. And I remember on occasion, uh, people would um, call me on the phone and they say, well, I'm, I'm signed up for this trip, and and but I don't know who my partner is. And, you know, I have this kind of a background. How do I know what background my partner has and I would say it doesn't really matter because you have flying in common even if you have nothing else in life in common you have flying in common and that's kind of the common denominator that will bring you together and when it comes to what we can do with different aircraft if you stop and think about it our certificate whether it's a private pilot single engine land or a commercial or something else or multi-engine our certificate really opens the door to an exceptional amount of available experience. Um, I have, a, or I had um, an uncle in, in, who was a British gentleman, but I had an uncle who lived in Scotland and he he was a pilot in, in Britain. In fact, he learned to fly on a, a, a tiger moth, which his, wow. was his first airplane. But his, his passion for flight uh, was really about gliders. And I've gone, had gone to visit him a number of occasions. Um, he, he just passed away this year, but um, we would often sit and talk about our common interest of flying. And he would ask many, many very good questions about what I fly and what about the limitations and the performance of it. And he always seemed so interested and, and impressed with what I was doing. But then at the very end of it, he said, well, you know, Paul, he said, you will actually never be a proper pilot until you learn to fly a glider. <laughs> so, so right. I've taken that as a bit of inspiration right. to maybe uh, honor his legacy and to go out and do something different. And a, and a glider would be a nice thing to do. So, what do we? What do you cover in this uh, in this section? Well, this is this is our our introduction to the theme and to what we're trying to cover here, and that the fact that aircraft come in just like it says, different shapes, sizes, and speeds for whatever you want to do. There's something out there. Um, and we also we are going to go into some of the options that you have for drones, if that's if that's your particular passion or if it's something you want to stretch into. Um, the one of the things that we stress in all the articles, though, and and I think again this is something that uh, everybody who shares a passion for flying 
really understands that training and practice is important. You can't simply, you can never assume that you know it all when it comes to flying. You, you really have to treat each and everything that you fly with the respect that it's due. And yeah, that's not about making it a chore, but to me, part of the fun is getting in and learning something new and stretching your wings, so to speak. Well, it's, I think it's one of the common elements and a common theme of pilots. I, I teach a um, captain upgrade class at my airline and we talk about well, what are one of the char- what's one of the many characteristics of a professional pilot or of a captain. And the common theme is always, well, be a mentor and always try to learn because you can't possibly know, can't it, all. know it all. No. So the jump seat column this month is featuring the new flight service standards director. I, I know and I spent some time with John Duncan before and I understand he's moved on. So tell us about the transition and a little bit about this article. So back in July, John Duncan moved up to be the um, associate administrator for aviation safety. And Rick Domingo has become the executive director of the Flight Standards Service. So this is his first um, his first uh, column where he introduces himself to the audience, uh, talks about some of the responsibilities he has. Um, and, and also really ties it to the theme, the fact that even though he has been in the Flight Standard Service in a variety of roles over the years, that uh, jumping into this new role is a learning experience for him, um, as you can imagine that it would be, uh, just as for uh, any of us if we were go- going to a different job. So as, as he put it in this thing, uh, he, he kind of has a particular kinship to the birds of a different <laughs> feather theme and is looking forward to getting to know people as he travels around the country in the course of his duties and responsibilities. He was at Oshkosh last summer. I think he had just taken over the job then, and uh, and uh, we'll, you'll be seeing him around. So we can expect to see his column now in every issue going Absolutely. forward? Okay, that's great. So our next article is about called Flying Light, and it's a, it's a wonderful introduction to light sport aircraft and the role that they play. Um, one of the comments the author has made is, well, why would anybody want to fly light? And there's many, many reasons. Economy can certainly be one of them. It might be just the aircraft that uh, suits your mission and suits your style of flying. It's something different to learn. Uh, They're fun. Many of them are new. Some of them have some very unique performance characteristics. But all of this goes to the idea that Yes, I may have an airplane single engine land license, but just because I do doesn't mean I can make any assumptions about skills and abilities. You need to find a good instructor and somebody to work with you because they do have some interesting characteristics. Well, they do. Um, the gentleman who wrote this article for us, he's one of our regular contributors. And in fact, uh, you've probably seen his work in a variety of aviation publications. So we're very fortunate that he is um, he, he likes to contribute to ours as well. And what it, I, I think the, the way that he wrote about it was very entertaining, but he makes some very, very serious points that you simply cannot assume that because it's a small airplane, a light sport airplane, that uh, everything that you already know about flying applies to it. In fact, um, these are just because, as you pointed out earlier, and as he says in here, the, the characteristics of these airplanes mean that you have to fly them differently or else you could hurt yourself or, or hurt a perfectly good airplane. And who wants to do that? Well, and the other part of the, the light sport aircraft is because 
many of them are new. Mm -hmm. Many of them have what we would consider advanced avionics, um, which need to be learned. And the, the automation and the, the capabilities need to be well understood and managed. Yeah, well, the avionics as well as the so so actually it's a little bit of everything, isn't it? It's it's not just the avionics, um, and it's not just the performance characteristics of the airplane, although those are very different. Um, I, I I've certainly heard plenty of stories before from people who have um, have gone out thinking that a light sport aircraft, oh, it's a piece of cake, I can do this, and found out that whoops, maybe maybe I should have gotten a little bit more training or maybe I needed to, uh, I needed to take this a little bit more seriously. And I will put a plug in. We'll, we'll talk a little bit later in the broadcast about how to get to our archived issues. But we did a, a piece a while back about thinking about transitioning to other airplanes, not as moving up or moving down, but moving over. Because sure. moving down seems to think, oh, well, this is going to be easy. And moving up, you know, sometimes actually, uh, as you remember, we, we've done, a, we did a program, a different program a while back about where, whose job was harder. Yes. And I think I won. Uh, general general aviation, aviation is harder than airline flying. In, um, in so many ways. In so many ways. Yeah. So the idea, it, we, we always need to think about moving over rather than moving down because it, it just conveys the wrong idea. Well, and the other point about, getting some different experience, it doesn't necessarily mean getting experience in a different type of aircraft or a different type of vehicle. It can also mean just simply transitioning from, for example, a Cessna 172 with analog instruments oh, to yeah. a Cessna 172 with a full glass cockpit. That that becomes a different airplane. It does. It, and, it truly does. And requires a little bit of time and attention to successfully manage it. Exactly. Our next one is, uh, the, the, I like the title, The Experimental Experience. Yes. And there is a great deal of information yes. in this article. I, I encourage everybody to spend a lot of time in this article, especially if you're, you're going experimental. But there were a couple of key points about air weatherness certificates, mm -hmm. standard and special. And experimental is just one of several uh, of the categories that falls in their special air weatherness certificate. So what else do we know in this? Well, as you said, there is a lot of material in here. And uh, the author, who's our managing editor, Tom Hoffman, he, he's put a lot of time and research into this piece. And it goes through several pages. So if, if, it's, um, if you are looking to um, buy or build one of these classes of airplanes, it, it would certainly be worth your time to spend some time with this article. Um, another thing that I think people will be interested in, I know that in the trade press, there's been some information about possible expansions to uh, light sport. And in some ways, some of the stuff that's been in the press has jumped the gun a little bit because uh, it takes a long time to do rulemaking, including a notice of proposed rulemaking. But this article does make uh, reference to, um, I, I love this acronym, MOSAIC. I think this is a pretty yeah, good one. Tell us about that. Um, the Modernization of Special Airworthiness Certification. And this is a budding um, project to, to look at a lot of the barriers to, as it puts it, level the playing field across manned and unmanned uh, privileges and limitations, really to take a whole fresh look at a lot of different things. So, when we um, when we've gotten to the point that we're ready to issue a notice of proposed rulemaking, 
uh, keep a lookout because I know you'll see a lot of in the, in the trade press as well as in the, the FA webpage and other website and other places on how you can read and comment on the project when it's ready for people to do that. And the other things that were covered in, in this article, which I found interesting, was about the the, the initial flight test phase, mm-hmm. that there are some specific requirements outlined in the rules and regs and in advisory circulators about how are you going to manage the first flight and what are some of the things that have to be done? And it's the first, they call it phase one, of course, phase one is where you really are trying to define the envelope of the, of the operation uh, to determine the limitations and to work out uh, essentially the fine details of how to fly the aircraft. Mm -hmm. And once that is satisfactory, you, you then can move into phase two, which is more or less normal operating procedures. So, Again, we'd encourage all of you who might be thinking about experimental, either from a building standpoint or an ownership standpoint, to, to, to spend some time in this because the author does a very nice job of covering the details. Yeah, it also includes, as we always try to do, some references and the places that you can go to learn more. So by all means, take a look at it. So our next um, content is on your, your article and checklist. Mm-hmm. And this was... Uh, one that was somewhat familiar to me because you discuss uh, some uh, relationship with a friend who had a absence of flying for a bit and decided to get back into it. And I, as you go through this, you get the idea that he really did everything by the book mm-hmm. about how to become acquainted with a new aircraft, what steps to take. He followed the, the recommendations in the advisory circular, and he did everything to enhance his success with a new airplane. So tell us the story. Yeah, so uh, for, for some years now, I have a friends who are based in Northern Virginia, Lisa and David. I first met them when they owned a Turbo 206 that we flew to Arizona a few years ago, and I've, I've written about that. Uh, we, we had a great time flying across the country and back in that airplane. And then uh, they, they got out of flying, you know, how it happens for all of us, life gets in the way, and they had a little mm-hmm. bit of uh, absence from flying. But I'm very happy that both both Lisa and David are getting back into it. Lisa is flying with, a, I think it's a 172 with a club. And David is buying this um, so an airplane I hadn't heard of before. And this is one of the wonderful things that we get into <laughs> with birds of a different feather. I've learned quite a bit about uh, types of airplanes that I never knew before. But this particular one, the PJ-260, um, this is not something that you can just go find on a field and rent um, <laughs> or find just any instructor. So what he did, um, as you said, it was kind of by the book. He used uh, some of the advice that the FAA had offered in the advisory circular that's mentioned here. Um, first, research, first, he had to get a tailwheel endorsement because he didn't have that. But he realized that, uh, okay, so that alone and the airplane that he had done the endorsement in wasn't going to work. So he did a lot of research to find out what kind of airplane would be comparable to the experimental light sport that he was buying. And then uh, came out to Arizona to do some training with an instructor in that comparable airplane. Um, and, and while he was out there, he came out to visit me and had uh, we, we, we had a great time doing some hangar flying and catching up and hearing about his experiences in learning to fly this kind of airplane, which is quite a bit different from the 206 that, that he had before. 
So um, I, I, I need to check in with him and see if he's actually <laughs> closed the deal and gotten the airplane. And it certainly sounded like he was well motivated to close well the deal. Well motivated to get on with it. Well, I, th- I think he owes me a ride. That's what I'm really thinking about. <laughs> well, but I was very impressed with how methodical he was yeah. in going through this process. Like you said, he got a, he recognized, you know, I, I need a tailwheel endorsement. Right. I need to find an airplane that has similar characteristics. And I he chose a, a Great Lakes to, to start mm-hmm. with. It certainly sounded like he put in the time and effort to get the instruction that he needed so that he would be better prepared to to take on his, his new airplane when he when he got back to Virginia. Right. And the other the other piece was, and you'll see this in the last bullet, following the advice that's in the advisory circular, learn as much as you can from the owner operator. So he, he flew the comparable aircraft. He got the, the training so he would understand its characteristics. But uh, but then you, you actually go talk to the people who are flying the one that you want. And uh, this gets into something we've addressed in previous issues about type clubs and how very important and very informative type clubs can be, even if it's a small type club. Um, people who are aficionados of a particular airplane, um, they're very likely to be together somewhere online, and you just go find them and learn whatever learn whatever you can. Well, in Wisconsin, there's um, a field not too far from here that's famous for um, antique aircraft, oh, fine. and they have a, a group that obviously gets together. Uh, there's also a gentleman here that is a Pete and Paul expert, and I know that when people are seeking out information about a Pete, he might likely be contacted. And it's the same that it's the same that your friend Dave did. He, he reached out and found people involved and and um, made a success of it. Well, and that goes to your earlier point too of how one of the things that we have in common is flying, is love for aviation. And people who love aviation love to talk about it. We, <laughs> we get together, and that's what we do. Indeed. So congratulations to Dave. And as, as you said, he probably owes you a ride. I, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. positive he does. Yeah. Are you listening, Dave? <laughs> so, our, our next article is really uh, discussing the technology that's on the forefront in many industries, certainly the automotive industry with electric vehicles. Um, so much discussion about it in the aviation world. Uh, the benefits are obvious in terms of um, noise and um, sort of the environmental considerations. However, all of the benefits still have uh, some costs associated with them in terms of um, how do we get a battery that's going to be powerful enough, but not too heavy to give a usable range. And the author of this, James Williams, he he phrased it in terms of energy density. And that was a concept that I didn't really think about, but obviously what he's talking about is if we can get the same amount of energy out of a smaller mass and reduce the weight, then this will continue to drive the success of electric aircraft. I was impressed by the comparisons that he did comparing how much you can, how much you can get out of, for example, jet fuel compared to how much you can get out of a battery, and batteries have some way to go. However, there's been exceptional progress in getting aircraft ranges of an hour or two hours is not out of sight anymore. It's now quite achievable, and the technology will just continue. So obviously the the challenge here is how do we improve on battery technology to reduce the mass and weight 
still produce the desirable power and um, make a make a business case for this market to really expand. And the author made a comment about, you know, five years ago, he thought maybe we were on the sort of philosophical, prototypical, you know, testing this as a as a concept. But in five years, they've made exceptional progress to where we'll see this more and more. Yeah, I, I liked it. I, I thought it was fun. He talked about uh, chemistry and cobalt, uh, chemistry and cobalt, and yes. and uh, I, th- this was actually a little bit of a chemistry lesson for me. Um, some of it I knew, but when you talked about uh, the way he pulled the concepts together, um, the fact that cobalt is used in a number of applications, like our favorite lithium-ion batteries, um, and what the things that battery manufacturers are looking to do, maybe find trying to find alternatives to cobalt because of all the issues that are associated with it. But he also makes a point about the research and development. And I think the, the last bullet point here, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, you have a lot of benefits because there's research that's going on across the board. But on the flip side, as he says, it means competing for cells with lots of other technologies. It's not just transportation. Well, and the reason for that is that the aircraft manufacturers, of course, not making their own batteries. They right. have to rely on outside sources. And those outside sources might be making batteries for aircraft, but also for cars or other applications. So the, the competing for sell strategy is, is certainly a, a kind of a market-driven concept. Yep. But it was a, a fascinating article, and I, I learned quite a lot. But I, he, he did such a nice job of talking about energy density, and well, that really sums it up. He did, and I think uh, when he he, uh, he also talks about the the car he drives, which has uh, mm. I guess it's one of the hybrids. But uh, I, I remember thinking when he's talking about that and the fact that your know, battery life and all of these things are issues. Anybody who has a cell phone knows <laughs> that battery life is an issue. I charged my iPhone I think twice today. Um, I, I got a lot of use out of it, so. I, but think about what's happened just in the alkaline battery industry. You know, we have batteries printed with the expiration date, and it used to be five years. Now it's ten years. So clearly, the technology is improving and going in the right direction. And it will be interesting to see this see this develop. Um, once they have this technology mastered, then of course it can be applied to larger aircraft with more capability and more range, and it's uh, a exciting segment of the market. Well, it is. And even though um, there's still a way to go, this is one of those, because lots of people are working on it, and it's being worked on a lot of different fronts. Um, I think we're seeing advances already, and and who knows, a few years from now, this is going to be, this may be the way to go. It could be. I guess we'll see. We will. And our next, our next bird is uh, hot air balloon. And what about you, Susan? Have you have you been in a hot air balloon? I have. Um, years ago, uh, for my birthday, I took a balloon flight. This was in the Northern Virginia area. And I, I remember it being calm and quiet and peaceful, and it was nice, except that we were in the, um, in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. And the balloon, the, the, the guy who took us for the ride, it was a, a big group of us, he had to uh, have a little clip-on transponder because, of course, you can't fly in oh. that airspace without a transponder. <laughs> and at one point, what I, I remember, I laughed my head off because the um, he was talking to air traffic control to let them know what air position was. And we were he was trying to make sure that we didn't float into airspace we weren't supposed to be in. And at one point, um, air traffic control tried to give us a heading. <laughs> 
And the balloon pilot informed him that we're a balloon. It was, and then the, the response was, well, disregard. And I thought about that when I was reading this article where uh, this, is, this is actually advice to balloon instructors as much as anything else about some of the planning that you have to do for the unexpected. The fact that, uh, and it puts it here, planning for a balloon flight involves more than simply obtaining a standard weather briefing and going forward. You really have to have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, et cetera. Well, and I, I too had a balloon flight many, many years ago. It was uh, in Napa Valley. So it was a, a beautiful setting for a balloon ride. And that's where I first became aware that I might be afraid of heights. That's a weird thing for a pilot. <laughs> well, it's that unenclosed feeling that I didn't particularly care for. But nonetheless, it was a beautiful flight to Napa Valley across the vineyards and everything. And I could tell that the, the there was an exceptional amount of coordination between the balloon pilot and his ground crew who were there to you know help um, gather the balloon upon landing. So there was a lot of coordination of that. But in this article, the one thing I had never stopped to think about was that a standard weather briefing with winds aloft at three, six, and nine is mm -hmm. not that meaningful if you're a balloon pilot. And they talk about microclimates and micro weather um, reports where you can get readings of winds aloft in much more granular form than we're used to as, mm -hmm. uh, as fixed wing or, or rotorcraft pilots. And that there are some tools and techniques that the balloon pilot can use to predict with reasonable certainty where things will go. However, we all know that the weather can change. Um, the role that inversions play in a balloon flight was something I didn't really appreciate. Mm -hmm. We all sense them in, in powered aircraft, but they have a significant effect in balloons. But it was, it was, it was fun reading and it brought mm -hmm. back memories of my, my first balloon flight and um, having to look at the vineyards from a balloon and also thinking that maybe I'm afraid of heights. So, <laughs> so yeah. I, I've managed to uh, contain that as long as I stay in an airplane. Enclosed. Enclosed. All right. yeah. Well, just have to think about which, you, which birds of a different feather you choose to go try. Yeah, There's right. something for everybody. That's right. FAA faces is a uh, highlight where you're, a, a person within the FAA family is highlighted for their, for their contributions and, and what they've done. Um, Thomas Leahy is this mm -hmm. individual, and what can you tell us about him? Well, there's a, it's a really fun article. I've known Tom for quite a few years in uh, different capacities in the FAA. Um, I had no idea that he, uh, I mean, I, I think it's really cool that he bought his own airplane for training and then owned and restored several of them. Um, he's got a lot of flying experience, including the Beaver and the Otter, and that is always fun. Plus the Ford Trimotor. If you've never been in that, oh, my goodness, that's fun. So I'm very jealous that he got to fly that one. Uh, he's done airline flying. But uh, one of the things that he's really focused on since he's been in the FAA is some of the experimental and light sport community and in how to um, I, I think the way he talks it, it, you'll see that in the next to the last bullet on this slide, implying safety enhancements in a way that still allows for the goal and the and the spirit of experimenting. Mm -hmm. So this is the, we're trying to make sure that we, we provide safety, but without such a, without any kind of heavy handed way that would take the fun off of what we're trying to do or the, 
the joy and the spirit and the benefits of doing experimental flying, which is one of the things that some, some people really like to do. So um, if you, you'll see that he, he's got a, a Belanca Viking and he flies around the country and you, you didn't tend to see people like mm-hmm. Tom in air shows. So um, I, I, I'd kind of like to make the point, uh, I mean, this gives me another opportunity. I think as we've met people through FA faces, there's sometimes a view that people come into the FA and stop flying, and that's just not true. No. That's absolutely not true. Everybody I've met has had some very connection to mm-hmm. to to flying and a great deal of experience. Well, experience and passion for it, and in the GA community um, that we serve and work with so much, um, most of us, many of us are, are passionate about flying and we get out and do as much as we possibly can. For sure. The other part about uh, the article about Tom was uh, how he got to the FAA. He, he had an, um, an airline career and uh, there was 9-11 and there was the H-60 rule and, you know, things were in a state of transition. And he uh, started discussing with his FAA friends about how to maybe come aboard with the FAA. And he liked some of the ideas about the, uh, the schedule and the benefits and the no retirement age. And I thought that's just going to apply to so many people, mm-hmm. but if people are, are interested in, in a position of some sort with the FAA, is, is it possible? And how does somebody do that? Well, I'm glad you asked that. My bosses will be really happy that, <laughs> uh, that we're plugging employment with the FAA um, if you go, any jobs are posted on USA Jobs, not, uh, which is online. You can just Google USA Jobs and, and get to it and see what's available, uh, what the qualifications are, apply online. And uh, hey, who knows? Maybe we can persuade you to come work. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. At the moment, I still have a day job. Okay. But. But the, the thought has certainly, you know, crossed my mind as it has many people about just different opportunities. Just, just like this issue is discussing, mm-hmm. you know, birds of a different mm-hmm. feather. There are jobs with a different feather, much like Rick alluded to, and we've all kind of gone through from time to time. Absolutely. So, so what was it? USA.gov? Uh, USA, USA Jobs. USA Jobs. USA Jobs. Um, and really, if you just put USA Jobs in, you the Google will find the rest for you. Very good. The next article continues uh, some discussions about experimental aircraft. Uh, Tom Hoffman, who, of course, is a major contributor in this magazine, uh, Angle of Attack, it's discussing um, some of the the benefits of experimental aircraft, the fact that the um, accident rate for experimental mm-hmm. aircraft has gone down, even though the fly- flying hours have gone up. So that's a very good trend. But one of the things that I think many experimental uh, builders and aircraft owners think about is, well, what what's going to happen on my first flight? How will I manage that? And in another article here, somebody had made the comment that there's an app for that. Mm-hmm. But app means? Additional pilot program. Tell us about it. Well, the additional pilot program was set up to um, to help people who are learning to fly a new or experimental aircraft. You can have somebody aboard, somebody else uh, come along and be part of that as long as they have some qualifications so that this is not becoming your own, uh, completely your own test pilot. And uh, the angle of attack article talks about some of the things, some of the benefits and the, 
the safety enhancements that 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 program has caused. Um, I'd like to point out too that uh, aviation safety inspector Mark Gyron, who is in uh, an, another FA inspector who's actively out there flying in experimental airplanes, as a matter of fact. And as he puts it, you know, what we're trying to do is to keep this program simple and easy to use. And uh, the angle of attack column talks about how we are looking at um, expanding the program, um, looking at some additional things that we can do to help the community. It's good reading, and it answers it answers questions about how to make your first flights uh, safe, safe yep. um, informative, and uh, give you some reassurance. Uh, and because of the the depth of the experimental market. There are more and more people available to help and do this. Absolutely, it just it just requires reaching out to pot, possibly an EA chapter or other resources that are well known. So, so it's it's um, a good article. Well, it also reminds me the app for that. But when you talk about the community, um, one of my colleagues always used to sign his emails. Help is only a mouse click away, <laughs> and that's pretty true. And in this day and age, you can go Google pretty much anything you want and connect yourself to a wide community. And of course, um, one of the things that the magazine does is point out some of the resources that you have for free through the FA. Mm -hmm. And most of our articles, wherever it's appropriate, we include links to some of the resources that we offer. So very good. Our next item on nuts, bolts and electrons is typically devoted to one or two focus areas Mm -hmm. concerning maintenance. But in, in this, in this article, it's more about, what does building an aircraft mean to me in terms of maintaining it, inspecting it, and some of the myths that may be out there? And the the first myth which was um, developed was that I need credentials or a certificate to perform maintenance or repairs on my own aircraft. And that answer is no. The theory there is simple. You're the one that built the aircraft Therefore, you know more about it than anybody, and you do have the ability to do repairs and um, maintenance on this aircraft. However, you still need a repairman certificate for experimental or aircraft builder in order to do what's called the condition inspection, Mm -hmm. which is a once a year program. However, uh, the other myth was, since I have a repairman certificate for experimental aircraft that allows me to work on all home-built aircraft. And that is not true. Not right. So this is quite simple. Your abilities to work on your own aircraft stay with that aircraft and that aircraft only. And this is something I didn't realize, but it stays with the owner. Mm -hmm. So if you have an experimental aircraft that you've built and flown for years that you're going to pass on to somebody else, that new owner does not get the same rights. The ability to do the maintenance and the repairs and the condition inspection stays with the owner. However, that is an opportunity for that owner to maybe help that individual when maintenance and inspections are required. And then the the third myth was because I've been doing my own work on my own airplane, then I can get an AMP. And that's, not an easy yes or no. That depends a lot on what you've done, the records you've kept, and you have to meet certain other requirements in terms of amount of experience, which 
a FAA person will have to review to make that understood. But I, I thought this was a nice article, a little bit different than pure maintenance items, but really under an experimental program, what can and can you not do? Yeah, this one was challenging. The author, Jen, uh, Jennifer Karen, um, she spent a lot of time with this. And I, I think you've done a really nice summary of it. It was a um, it was challenging because this is highly nuanced. And um, I think that she had to put quite a bit of time into talking to a lot of people and summarizing things and trying to provide as much of a summary as we possibly could on something that is, um, as you see from the myths, a little mm -hmm. bit more complicated than people like to think. So by all means, um, if you're thinking about doing maintenance on these kinds of airplanes, take a look at the article, follow some of the resources and make sure that you know what you can and can't do. And there's information on the FAA website to help, uh -huh. especially the advisory circular on um, amateur-built aircraft. Yes. Well, we can't discuss birds of a different feather unless we have a discussion about drones. Absolutely. <laughs> so Drone Debrief, uh, written by Marilyn Pearson, uh, goes through the many options of drones. I, I think in most consumer-oriented endeavors, People, when they think of drones, they think about the quad, mm -hmm. um, four propellers, um, maybe with a camera attached, maybe not. Oftentimes, a quad is somebody's introduction to what um, a drone is. But, of course, there's much more, right? Well, there really is. And uh, she, she spent a lot of time on this one talking about just as, just as for um, what we call manned aircraft, if you're, if you're trying to choose whatever's right for you, uh, you you have a lot of options, and she wants to make the same the point that the same is true in the rem the remote piloting world. And uh, I, I can't say that I was familiar with the term aero modeling before I read this piece, but um, I I knew what it was, but I couldn't have told you what it, the name of it was. Um, so now I have a title for something, and she's got some suggestions for how you can go about finding the right uh, the right remote pi remotely piloted aircraft for you and for what your purposes are. And and also, once again, if you're not sure, um, there are groups, yep. there are mentors, there are clubs. Uh, it just takes to reach out to uh, visit with, with people who have a common interest and to show you what the options are. And there are plenty of resources to, to go on. And I, I this is... This is a world that is expanding so fast and has lots and lots of people in it and lots of very enthusiastic people as well. So there's no question you can find somebody to help you point point you in the right direction. Well, and I know it's it's keeping the folks at the FAA busy because occasionally we may have a question for uh, perhaps a standish person or, or somebody at FAA National. And um, we're told that, well, we'll get back to you. But right now we're devoting a lot of attention, a lot of attention to UAS and, and the drone world. Yeah, absolutely. So our next one is um, on rotorcraft, uh, vertically, vertically speaking. speaking. And this is a really nice summary of some of the changes that are being considered to enhance the safety of helicopter and rotorcraft flying. Um, two of them that are of interest to me is um, changes and enhancements in simulation mm -hmm. for for helicopters, and also the um, they call it stability augmentation systems or autopilots. The one thing that I didn't really stop to consider until I read this was that 
VMC into IMC is not just a problem of fixed wing aircraft. It's mm -hmm. also an issue for rotorcraft. And this focuses a little bit on the role that um, enhanced autopilot systems can make. And there's, there's other things too that are part of the uh, helicopter safety team. Yeah, I, I like the the one on expanding the understanding of basic helicopter aerodynamics. I've done just a little bit with helicopters. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and magic is not the answer. It, <laughs> it, it feels like it might be. But um, I, I think it's really important for all pilots to understand basic aerodynamics and anything that uh, can be done in the rotorcraft world to enhance that is a good stuff, too. And the other, the first part of it was standardization mm -hmm. of um, auto rotation and emergency um, handling. Um, the Gene Gene Trainer, the author, discusses some some disconnects sometimes mm -hmm. between how things are taught in a you know uh, academic environment versus what's in the literature, which is what versus what is coming from the manufacturer, and that all of these need to be harmonized a little bit to. Um, help improve safety and handling under emergency situations. Mm -hmm. So it's it's good stuff. And I have had little, well, no experience in helicopters other than I went into a ride for one. Out. I'm sure I'm missing out, but I, I would that improve my understanding of basic helicopter aerodynamics mm -hmm. would be the first step. I can <laughs> I can I can assure you. So our, our medical columns we we have two again is is always this time and. The first one is really interesting about getting a path to yes for pilots who are experiencing and dealing with cancer. And the reason it's of interest to me is my, my professional life started many years ago as a biochemist doing basic biomedical research at a well-known uh, cancer center in Houston, Texas. And during that time, there were certainly great strides being made, but it's exponential these days. As I followed, I, I have followed this industry um, in the background for quite a long time since I had my my early involvement with doing research um, in this environment, and the advances that are being made are significant, and they they are helping create a path to yes for many people. So. This is something that, of course, you need to discuss with your AME, but many of the issues that existed before that might have been a barrier to medical certification, in many cases, are going away. Some of it is dealing with the drugs that have less side effects, and obviously the advances that are being made in, in turning these into treatable um, treatable cancers that give people some some path and and some ability to carry on. Yeah, they, they spent a lot of time uh, doing this this summit with, um, and the, the article describes some of the people who were brought together and the fact that there was a, a really solid exchange of views between the uh, those in the FAA who do medical certification and those in the community who um, who treat and are experts in this in this particular field and trying to share that information and figure out, okay, what can we do and how can we move forward? And uh, I, I think that the way that, that it was titled was uh, the path to yes is what uh, what the goal is. Absolutely. And it, and it seems like that's coming in more and more cases. And the next part of uh, the, the medical review is on, on asthma. Um, many people deal with this. And the one thing I learned by reading this was it's, it's not something you grow out of. I know. I thought um, so too. It, 
I knew people in my junior high and high school that had had asthma, and I would hear things like, "Well, eventually somebody will they, they will grow out of it," but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. The the symptoms might seem to abate because we just grow up, but we still have reactive airways and need some treatment and medication. And of course, the main issue for for pilot certification is your ability to have usable oxygen. And at the altitudes we fly at, that effect is compounded even more. But the author points out that there are certain types of conditions where medical certification is not a problem. It's, it's, it's treatable with medication and it's not a, a barrier. For other people, it might not be that easy. And um, the topic of special insurance came up. And if, if somebody needs to discuss that, how do, how do they go about that? Oh, there's a lot of information on the web, but this is where uh, ta- talking to your um, AME will be very helpful. But there are a lot of, there's an increasing number of conditions that AMEs can issue. That's the CACI program. And um, the, the whole idea is to have the discussion with your AME and mm-hmm. uh, just to, to borrow from the previous title, find a path to yes. For sure. And, and it seems like it exists as well. So our, our news topics are covered under the, the next uh, slide, which is ATIS. And this is always a fun collection of, mm-hmm. of things that are happening within the FAA and within the industry. We're not going to focus on all of them, but uh, the wrong surface landings is very interesting because some data is highlighted that 75% yes. of wrong service landings occur at airports with parallel runways. So maybe that's a hint to study your airport diagram and to make sure you and your air traffic controller are on the same page. That 85% of them are um, general aviation events and 89% occur on a bright, clear, beautiful day. There is a video which is referenced in this article on wrong surface landings about how to mitigate uh, wrong surface landings, and I would encourage everybody to to click on that and, mm-hmm. and have a look. Uh, the Null report uh, is out, and the summary of that basically is good news. It is good news. We still have a ways to go, but, uh, you know, we did uh, the Roundup the Usual Suspects a few months ago, yes. and it was kind of nice to see that maybe we are starting to make headway in rounding up some of those usual suspects because mm-hmm. uh, the, AO, the AOPA um, Air Safety Institute's uh, annual NAL report does have some very positive news, and this was a little bit of a summary of it, so you can get the details in this little news item. And I know through the work you've done with the Airman Certification Standards, there's the topic of Airman testing. Mm -hmm. And there's a a brief article there on a new Airman testing services contract. What's that about? Well, that is about uh, modernizing our ability to form and deliver um, Airman knowledge tests. Uh, We've we've had a system that, uh, let's just say that we outgrew it a long time ago. And it had very little flexibility to it. Um, we have now have an airman testing services contract. You can read about it in there. But wh- what that means is that we now have, our, as, as that transition uh, progresses, we're going to have a lot more capability to do better questions, different types of questions, not just the form test, multiple mm-hmm. choice. Um, obviously, these are things that we will communicate to the community well before they're implemented. But I think everybody's going to see um, the improvements that we've been trying to make with the ACS. This will enable us to move that forward even more quickly. Is this even casually related to removing some of the outdated questions? 
I or, think we will be even faster in removing outdated questions as we get into that. So we, we've obviously been trying to do that all along, but this is going to enhance our ability to do all kinds of things to make the system better. Very good. And then the other one just to cover, because it's the topic of this issue, is the remote pilot certificate renewals, mm -hmm. which are good for how long? Uh, for two years. And mm -hmm. so uh, one of the things that the rule required was uh, re renewal. And this little article gives you some information on how to go about getting that done. Very good. And the last column was one of one of yours. Indeed. Post flights. And it, your introduction there kind of set the stage for this this issue. So yeah, I post flight. Uh, sometimes I can stare at the screen for a long time trying to figure out what to write about. And sometimes it's a little bit easier. But this is really my opportunity to try to wrap up the issue and tie a bow around it and uh, and summarize a little bit. And uh, I, I can also try to be creative sometimes. But this time <laughs> I, I didn't have to. I, I was remembering um, when we we're talking about birds of a different feather, the birds that you have outside here that we watched last summer yep. when we were uh, the feathered ones that uh, we were watching. And it was kind of fun in July, just before we went to Oshkosh, we were watching all of these feathered birds flying around and you could just look up at the sky and see all of the little metal birds that were headed north to Oshkosh. That's right. And on the day that they were headed north, a lot of them were getting, um, I think they were having to circle for quite a while because the weather was not cooperating. Um, but, but it just, the, the whole thing made me think about, um, you know, the birds and what they know how to do and, um, I found some quotes that I really liked and wanted to share with everybody there. Um, but but I, I thought uh, one of the quotes that I've, I found about flying is a commonplace. But, uh, you know, Lindbergh said that uh, he if he could pick between um, mechanical flying and a bird, he'd rather he, he thought the bird was a better example. Well, and that he marveled at the evolution, yeah. the evolution of the bird. He marveled at the evolution of the bird, and it occurred to me as I was as I was looking at that was, and th this is one of the points that I put on the slide. One of the things that I think we admire about the birds is they are truly one with the airplane because they are the airplane. That's and right. I sure. wish I wish often that I could be that way because I have to I have to think about it a little bit more than they do. Well, a, a friend of mine, Mike, our friend, uh, once asked me. Uh, he said, "Well, you you referred to a good pilot." from time to time. Mm -hmm. And what is a good pilot? And I stopped to think about what that really means. And I, I thought, well, the first thing it means is somebody who is very smooth and precise on the control inputs, where everything is deliberate, mm -hmm. but with no abrupt motions. And the second part is somebody who possesses, I would say, exceptional mm -hmm. situational awareness. And I think somewhere in that discussion, I said, so a good pilot is somebody who's almost is the airplane and is one with the airplane. And birds actually are. They, they, got, they have a head start. <laughs> they have a head start on that. Um, but I also uh, brought up some quotes from that I've used before, because um, everybody who reads the magazine probably has, knows that I, I love Richard Bach's Gift of Wings. But there's a, an essay in that book where he talks about the importance of a pilot learning how to be so caught up with pure flight where systems mm -hmm. operation is fun. I, I enjoyed glass cockpits. That's, that's our world. That yeah. is our world. Yeah. But it just seemed to me appropriate to wrap this issue about birds of a different feather up by reminding us that 
we really want to be caught up in the idea of pure flight and we mm -hmm. want to be one with the airplane and not just be systems operators. So this was a little bit of my plea to all of us. Let's uh, let's get back to the basics. Let's For remember sure. what flying is really about. Absolutely. As we wrap up, Susan, um, there are many places to find FAA Absolutely. safety briefing. What, what are some of them? Well, here they are um, right here on the slide. We've got a variety of electronic formats. Uh, you can also subscribe to a print copy um, and the, the, um, down at the bottom is the link to where you can go to subscribe to the print edition. And you can follow us on Twitter. And we mm -hmm. regularly contribute to the FA's uh, Facebook postings as well. Well, your social media director do. does a does a very good job of keeping keeping this out here. Yeah, we do. And as we mentioned before, we have an archive of the FAA safety briefing uh, issues. This is just an um, illustration of both this issue as well as the past issues? Yeah, some of the ones that are available on the page that we showed you on the last slide. Uh, if you look toward the bottom, there is a link to archived issues and you can find uh, a lot of the things we've done. We've done special issues on basic med, on UAS, on um, the, we did the roundup, the usual suspects, back to basics. So we've done flight instructor issues. Mm -hmm. We've done student pilot issues. And a lot of that, we, we try really hard to keep it, um, to make it, as timeless as possible so that these are things that you can use as references for some time to come. So a lot of content out there and it's free. Very good. And we know you, you like, and you take we feedback do. and how does, how does somebody get in touch? Uh, well, here you go. Safety briefing at fa.gov. Um, you can also use that QR code if you have the magazine and just uh, scan that and it takes you right to our mailbox we do uh, respond to feedback that we get uh, either on social media or through flight form. And I was very pleased actually this morning, today's a federal holiday, but I opened up my work email and, and found a comment from somebody who was saying, gee, you know, I really have been enjoying what you all do and I hope everybody does actually. Well, I think they do. It's, it's a, it's a nice issue. And this one's been fun to, to talk about. And just to review wings credit, Yep. Um, if you want to get Wings credit, just follow the link and uh, click on the, the appropriate link. Follow the uh, follow the links, finish the quiz, and you get Wings credit for the course. But and as um, we as we discussed, you might need to link to the print copy uh, if you don't have one in your hand. And hopefully, you will just to enjoy and read in depth some of the things that we've um, introduced you to in this issue. And. Archive broadcasts. Archive broadcasts are available as well. So if you wanted to get, uh, if you missed a previous broadcast or if you're looking to get Wings credit for something, um, all you have to do is follow the links, watch the broadcast, take the quiz, and there you go. Perfect. And our next Coming issue. Up. Next issue, January, February, will be uh, January. ADSB. All about ADSB, uh, January 14th, 2019. So we'll look forward to that issue and to joining all of you again on FAA Safety Briefing Live. Susan, it's, it's been fun to do this in person. Always. And we'll look forward to another program in January. See you in January. And in the meantime, happy holidays to everybody. Fly safe.